You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Thursday, February 22nd, the Washington Post hosted another installment of its ongoing Addiction in America live news series, where policymakers, researchers, and healthcare experts examine the country's opioid crisis. In this segment, the mayor of Manchester, New Hampshire, Joyce Craig, and the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, describe how local governments are responding to the opioid crisis. They discuss how the epidemic is affecting communities across the Northeastern United States. Let's listen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Katie Zesma. I'm a national correspondent for The Washington Post. I want to introduce my guests here. We have Mayor Marty Walsh of Boston and Mayor Joyce Craig of Manchester, New Hampshire. And our discussion today will focus on how local governments across New England are responding to the opioid crisis. And before we begin, I want to tell everyone in the audience, online and here, to tweet questions using the hashtag PostLive. We'd love to hear um, what your questions are and uh, what you'd like to hear from the mayors. So please uh, send, us, send us what you'd like to know. So. Um, mayors, you know, I want to start talking about, uh, you know, we have the statistics, right, that, that are happening. We have, um, you know, about 60 deaths in Manchester in 2017, about 200 in Boston. Um, those are just the numbers. You're all on the street, and there's a lot more happening in your communities. How is this affecting your communities on the ground, and what have you, what, you know, what do you see every day when you go out there? It's heartbreaking. It's affecting everybody in our community. It has no boundaries. Every neighborhood, uh, socioeconomic, um, everybody. So it is, uh, you know, we're taking an uh, all-inclusive approach. Everybody needs to be involved. Uh, we need to be on this uh, and really start to make some significant progress in eliminating what's happening. You know, one death is too many and we're having way too many, and we're continuing to see the overdoses. So we need to take a community approach and bring everyone together to address this issue. Uh, I've been working on this issue since 1997 when I got elected as a representative in the House of Representatives here in Massachusetts, and uh, it's devastating. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's devastating when you know somebody personally that lo loses a loved one uh, to addiction. Um, it's devastating for the families that have loved ones that are in the grips of addiction. Um, you know, it, it's not a simple. It's not a simple solution. Um, a, as a mayor, uh, I, I mean, I think as a human being, it, it bothers us all. And I think that I know some some folks put their, their loved ones' pictures up here, and um, you know, you can't bring those the, the, their loved ones back, and and they know what the pain is. They know what the suffering is. They know what the the stealing in the home is. They know what the the, the the not coming home at night is. They know if their loved one got into recovery, they know that happy feeling for a very short period of time, getting that good night's sleep when somebody goes into detox. And then when they break out again, that, that, that feeling of desperation and you hope that the police arrest somebody just to get them off the street. Um, you know, that's what we're dealing with every day in the city of Boston. The numbers you said are 200 numbers, 200 overdoses. I'd say they're probably higher than that. Mm -hmm. I think that, that people don't, you know, that, you know you, nobody wants to have their, their, their loved one diagnosed as a cause of death and overdose, so it's probably it's probably higher than that. The number, it's, it's but it's it's truly devastating. I see some folks here, uh, Mayor Jujuga here. Uh, he's been doing this work as a, as a state rep, as a senator, as a mayor. Too, he can talk about his town. Frank Baker, city council from Dorchester. We can all talk about stories, but I think it's um, the, the mayor said it. it. It's just it's a, it's a very sad, tragic part of our job that we have to deal with. 
And you know, the city of Boston has spent millions on recovery programs since you took office. You've opened the, the Office of City Outreach, there's the Engagement Center. Can you talk a little bit about what the goal is, what your goal is for the city of Boston? Well, I, I think one of the first things, well, we created the first Office of Recovery Services in, in, in the country, in Boston, and that's really about looking at our system and looking at our services that we provide in the city of Boston. The way Massachusetts works is the state provides a lot of services through the Department of Public Health, the Bureau of Substance Abuse Services. Uh, as a city, we don't necessarily provide direct care, but we're, we're supportive with the state on how do we make sure we get people, try and encourage people to go into detox. And, and one of the first things that, that we did as the mayor after we created that office, we realized that parents or people didn't have access into treatment and, and they didn't know how to do that. I mean, it's not something that it's easy. You can pick up, you know, Google and say, how do I get somebody into treatment? Right. It's not that simple. Which I'm sure a lot of people were actually doing yeah, because and how else so, do you go about that? So it's, we, we made it as simple as possible. You, you, you pick up the phone and you call 311 and you ask the person on the other the phone that you want help or treatment for somebody, yourself or somebody else. And that's what we kind of have done in the city of Boston, trying to increase uh, access to treatment. Uh, we work with, very closely with, with the state uh, in making sure that we fund detox beds. We work, we work closely with the nonprofits to make sure that we have halfway houses so we can have this continuum of care. Uh, but, but still, the, the task is daunting. I mean, not, not everyone who's an, an, an addict wants to get help. And, and so get, making that first call sometimes is difficult, um, I mean, for people to do. And so we try to encourage people. We have outreach workers in the street now. We have, um, I think, five or six people in, in, in different parts of the city of Boston trying to encourage people to get into treatment. Um, it, it, or when they're ready to get into treatment, we're helping them with that. So what you can do is only provide the tools. Mm -hmm. um, the issue of, of addiction started in, in, really started around 1850 when the pharmaceutical companies got together and started creating these pharmaceutical companies and the heroin started being produced. So we're talking about, we're talking about an issue that we've been grappling with for 160 years that we can't quite solve in, in, in two or three years or four or five years. It's going to take us time to get there. I think we have better services today than we had in the past, but you can't say that to a mother who lost their loved one last night because of addiction. It doesn't matter to that person. And what you said is, is important. You know, people have to have the desire to go into treatment. They need to want to take that step, and it doesn't always happen the first time or the second time or the third time. How do your outreach, outreach, outreach workers kind of stay with those people and you know encourage you keep them with to them i mean you, you have no other way, there's no other way of doing it i mean sometimes people will be fortunate enough to go to detox once and get it and and never pick up again and 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 god love people that have that ability some people might go 15 20 30 times i mean people might say oh my god that's too many times but eventually i think there's hope for everybody uh, I, I you know there's 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 hope for and i've seen people get into recovery that have been down uh, bottom addicted to heroin and alcohol and other drugs, jail time, and they've completely turned their life around. I know I can tell you two cases of people that I know that own homes today, and, and there was no hope for them. So you can't give up. And as a city, uh, as cities, we can't give up on anybody because that's our job and that's our responsibility. As public officials, you can't give up on somebody. And Mayor Craig, in, in New Hampshire, you know, there has been a lack of treatment beds, and there have been a number of treatment facilities that have recently closed, not for lack of need, but because of financial problems. How has the lack of treatment beds in New Hampshire, um, you know, made it more difficult for you as a mayor to try and get, get the constituents help? Well, obviously, you know, like Mayor Walsh said, we want to make sure that everyone can get the treatment that they need, and with a lack of beds, it's been a huge challenge. And when you talk about all of the programs you have in Massachusetts and all that you're doing and the money that you have, you know, it makes me really understand and feel how ba far back Ma uh, Manchester and New Hampshire in general is. Um, when I took office about a month and a half ago, 
we have a program called Safe Station. Um, every fire station is open, um, so anybody who needs help can walk in. There's no stigma. Um, they can be comf they're comfortable in the environment that they're in, and we provide them with the help that they need. <clears throat> the treatment facility that helped people that went into Safe Station closed. And so we were in a situation where we needed to um, provide all of the programs to other entities and get things going so we weren't at a um, falling even further behind. But it also provided us an opportunity to say what's working and what's not. So we were able to really um, take a look at, we knew that people were coming in by the hundreds to our fire stations, um, but they were coming in for different reasons. Not always substance misuse, but homelessness, mental health issues. So we're able to bring other entities in and make them part of the solution. So we're really getting people to where they need to be. But it is an ongoing challenge that we don't have enough resources throughout the state. We're also seeing in Manchester, 65% of the people coming in to our fire stations are from outside of Manchester in, in addition to outside of our state. So they, they know about this one access point, but we really need to do a better job of educating and opening up other access points throughout the state. And so it was about 3,000 people use, use safe, safe Station in about 18 months, correct? Yes. And the city has partnered with Lyft to help people get from point A to point B, but there is an issue, right? Manchester, it's only for Manchester residents. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, what we've tried to do in, in looking at what's been working and what's not is we, we identified the significant a number of people who are coming into our city for help. So we've worked with the governor and the governor's office and other um, government agencies to really do a better job educating people throughout the state on where they can go in their area. So we're trying to and hoping that people really look to their neighborhoods and their um, cities and towns to get the help they need instead of coming to Manchester. That's where they're going to be the most successful, where they have the resources, hopefully the family, friends that can help them through this process instead of coming to a city they're not familiar with. So we're, we're accepting anyone who comes in, but we really want to encourage people to stay in the, the areas where they live and get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And I know, uh, Mayor Walsh, you have you've talked about a recovery campus in Boston. Can um, um, can you tell a little bit how that would how that? Yeah, works? just for the people that are watching that, that aren't familiar with Massachusetts or Boston, uh, we have we have a Long Island, which is part of Boston, which is off of off of connected to Quincy by a bridge. Uh, it's Boston's island connected to Quincy. And uh, my first uh, my first eight months in, as mayor, in my, within my first eight months, I had to shut the bridge down because it was literally crumbling into the Atlantic Ocean. Out on that island, we had programs. We had a homeless facility. We had a couple of detoxes. We had about three or four uh, long-term home recovery programs. So when we closed the island, we had to, we had to find a place for these, these programs to go. Um, and when we did it, we replaced every bed on the island, but we realized now that we have an island, uh, I made an announcement in January that we're gonna rebuild the bridge back down and come up with a recovery campus idea. What does that mean? That means that we're sitting down now talking about what, what, what is the need in, in the recovery continuum of care? Um, you know, be detox beds, we have detox beds, we could always use more. We have holding beds. What we don't have is long-term recovery beds, really, enough in the Commonwealth uh, to be able to sustain, get people into a continuum of care. So we're going to be looking at how do we create that type of long-term living environment out in Long Island. It's a perfect, it's a perfect therapeutic setting. It's on the Atlantic Ocean. It's, it's Boston. You can see Boston. You can see Quantum. You can see Quincy. It's an opportunity, really, to think about how do you create beds. Uh, to the, the man was talking about Manchester. You know, when 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 when, a, when somebody wants to get sober, we have to get the whole state sober. So I think that you have to think of a system that works not just Boston. You, you can't leave it up to the individual cities and towns in Massachusetts, for say, I'll use this as an example, to say Boston's only going to take care of Boston. You know, because, because when I got sober, I got sober down 
down in Gosnell, down the Cape. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go down there. So I think we have to think about how do you create a, a system uh, that works. This recovery campus idea, you know, you might have people from all over the state there. I mean, you have to get out of the neighborhood you're in, you have to get out of the circumstances that you're in to, to get that clear head and get that opportunity to kind of to move your life forward. And that's really what I'm looking at here on Long Island. I've got a little pushback, maybe a little, a little pushback, but I've gotten some pushback. <laughs> uh, but, but I think once it's explained, once it's explained, people say, okay, I, I get it. Because everybody, and when I say this, I can say this today, everybody knows somebody who's either addicted whether it's drugs or alcohol, or, or know somebody that has somebody in their family addicted. You couldn't make that same statement 20, 20 years ago. Maybe you could, but it wasn't public. Today, it's more open, so people talk about it. And I think it's a better, it's a better situation to be in as far as people talking about it, because help can happen, but it's still a difficult situation. And in terms of Long Island, you were criticized for oh, taking yeah. the bridge down, and you know everyone did get into recovery, but it took a, it took a long time, and there was you know, criticism that it, it added to people at Melnia Cass Boulevard. Did the, did the, did the it, situation... It, long term, it didn't. I mean, I mean, I think the people... Well, we do have a homeless facility on Melnia Cass now, so I guess that's there. But I, I, yeah, I got criticized for not caring. I mean, I, this is this, Long Island is a place I went out to every other Sunday for literally almost 10 years doing a commitment, an AA commitment, at, at a program called Bridge to Recovery that changed the name after that. Um, you know, and, and I went out there as a private citizen doing that. Um, but, you know, again, it, it, I guess you can make an argument that the bridge didn't get the proper attention it should have because it was addicts and alcoholics and homeless people on the island. Where if that was a bridge going to an island that had, you know, high-end condos and, 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 you know, other services, maybe the bridge would have been fixed. I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying that, I guess. But, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, but what it made us do, it made us look. I mean, the, the opioid crisis isn't new. It didn't happen under my watch as mayor or the mayor's watch as mayor. It didn't happen in the last, you know, 10 years. This has been going on, as I said, for 100 years, but it, it's, it's public now. And I think with the, if we didn't have the abuse of the, of, the, of the prescription drugs, we still might not be talking about this. But you know something? Even without the abuse of prescription drugs, we had a crisis. We had a drug crisis. We have people that were using and abusing drugs and heroin and, 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 and crack and other drugs that came in that, that wasn't to the epic proportion it is today. And, and I think that, you know, I think that, I mean, we just got to continue to move forward. Any idea is a good idea. Um, when you, you mentioned Lyft, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, some of you say, well, what's that do? Well, that gets somebody to treatment. That Lyft, one driver might get somebody to treatment that gets sober and, and turns a life around. I think any, any ideas are worth pursuing in this, in this fight. Um, one idea that Lenny and the governor talked about are supervised injection, injection facilities. They've been getting um, some traction in Philadelphia and in Seattle. They're illegal federally. They're, uh, Lenny went up to Canada and did a story on this. What do each of you think about the idea of supervised injection facilities? Go I'll go ahead. first. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't understand the concept behind it. Mm -hmm. um, to be quite honest with you, um, you know, I know that people say, "Well, we can watch and monitor." Um, first of all, if you're a heroin addict and you go and, and buy your heroin wherever you buy it, you're probably not going to drive across town to the safe injection site to shoot up. And what happens if anyone knows the history? If, if you pay attention to the history of the heroin dealership, heroin coming into the United States of America, when they were selling it on the streets of America, what they decided to do was find where the methadone clinics were. And when they found where the methadone clinics were, they realized these are the addicts. So now we're going to go and deal, take the drugs over to the addicts 
and we can we can figure it out. And and what happened was the addicts who were going to meth, they, they were sitting ducks. So you're going to tell me that we're going to have a safe injection site anywhere, and that the drug dealers aren't going to realize, oh, let's go over here. I mean, I've heard, I haven't seen firsthand, but a couple of people I know went up to Vancouver uh, to to see the safe injection site in Vancouver, and they said that that block of uh, that block of, of of area up there is a disaster. There's people shooting up in the streets. There's people shooting. There's drug dealing going on. I think it, it, it's an idea, I guess, but I, I just don't see the rationale behind it because it, I'm an alcoholic. If you told me that you know I could drink safely in this bar uh, and, and, and you know and whatever happens, well, I, I don't like. I want to be over here, and, and so I, I just get concerned about it. Philadelphia is just starting it. There's no proof. Nobody's come to me with, with scientific data saying they work. Although somebody I'm sure will come up with scientific data shows that we've been able to save people at Narcan. Uh, I just don't see. How, I don't see how that that helps. I think you actually hurt the addict doing that because now they're going to be preyed upon more by the drug dealers because they know exactly where they are all day long. We do have a site in Boston. Healthcare for the homeless has has a room that people go into after they inject. Uh, they can go in and, and kind of hang out there. Um, that's that's not an injection site, but it's kind of after you inject, you go in there. So I'm kind of curious to see how that's working out. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you, do you agree with what they're doing? Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's another thought process on how, how you do it. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see what happens. But I just think the safe injection sites is going to cause a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of new issues. Mm -hmm. In New Hampshire, we're so far away from this. We don't even have um, needle exchange. Uh, we don't have a safe um, site like you talked about. I just... It's, we are so far back that I think there are things that we need to do to even before we even consider something like yeah, that. People are afraid it's of the needle injection sites and, and, uh, and need, needle, needle exchange. exchange. And, and I mean, when I was a legislator, uh, you know, for a little while it was a tough issue, but then it's really not. And then buying, buying needles and training needles in, it's really not that big of a deal, meaning that, that you have, if, if you can, that, if that can cut down on, on, on disease, exactly. that's, a, that's a positive way to do it and not sharing needles. And I think that people, you know, in New Hampshire or anywhere in the country, I mean, in, Unless you, 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 you hide in your house, I mean, look outside, there's heroin on your street. Uh, and, and there are people that you love doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can pres preserve them uh, with some other potential health risks down the road, we should try and do that. Absolutely agree. And would you like to open one in Manchester? I know there is one in Claremont, New Hampshire that just closed because it was too close to a school with zoning. zoning um, it is something that we've talked about in Manchester, so we are looking at it. Mm -hmm. You talk about schools, I think that we should do, we have to do more intervention in our schools earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you know a lot of people say, oh, it's next to a school. Well, there's a good chance in that school there's kids using drugs. Um, and I think that what we have to do is, is get to our kids younger in grammar school as, as early as grades three, four, and five and start talking about addiction. And people might say, oh, it's too young. Well, by seventh, eighth grade, they're smoking weed. What do you tell so them? It's like, so I think you have to explain what, what, what an addiction is. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to talk about situations. And I think that, unfortunately, you know, a lot of schools now, I mean, Chris Herron talks about Growing up in Fall River, Massachusetts, he was the top scorer. He's still the top scorer all time in Massachusetts. He partied with his friends. He went to college. He said, did coke and oxys, and it took him on, on an incredible ride that 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 you know that nearly ruined his life or, or ruined one part of his life as far as his professional career, but didn't ruin his life because he's come back as a stronger human being because of recovery. But I think you have to tell those stories. I mean, people need to know that the, that these are real because um, a lot of people see stuff on the street. The kids. Kids observe. Kids know in the neighborhoods who's doing the drugs, who's drinking the booze, who's hanging in the corner, who's doing it. They know that. So if we think we don't, they don't know, we're crazy. And their parents are doing it. And that's what we're seeing in Manchester. Mm -hmm. We need to really help these kids through this difficult time that they're having at home. So when they're at school, it's a safe place for them so we can help them through this. And we have to do more. I 
completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. It's affected the foster care programs, it's touching children as well as, Absolutely. as adults and all over. Um, Mary, Mary Walsh, you had talked about potentially joining the lawsuits against the pharmaceutical companies. Yep. Where are you on that? We're at, right now, we're at, we put a, we put an RFI out. Uh, we're going to be getting um, the, what the law, what the company, what the, the legal community is doing. Uh, we're going to make a decision really soon. We're, we're probably going to join the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking, though, there's, there's a couple different things going on. There's a, an investigation going on by the by the attorney generals, 40 around the country, Oz being one, Maura Healy, is doing looking at uh, what, how they're going to proceed forward. You have uh, individual states that have sued pharmaceutical companies, and you have you have a kind of a class action lawsuit with cities around America. So we're looking at the, the best approach for us to move forward uh, on how we do it. Um, you know, um, I think, you know, suing, okay, we're going to sue and, and, and maybe get some uh, something back from, from all, the, all the devastation that these drugs have cost us. But I think the, the suit is really about raising awareness mm -hmm. and continue, for me personally, it's about continuing the conversation and having people pay attention to what's going on. I don't think people really paid full attention to the smoking until, until they got sued. And when they got sued in different states won, won those awards, people started paying really attention to what came out of that. And do you kind of view this as like a, the second wave of the tobacco type lawsuits? I, I think it's, I guess you can say that. I, I think that tobacco is devastating, but I think heroin and, and prescription drugs are more devastating. And I think that, you know, I heard the governor talk right before me and, you know, they, they were, he was talking about prescribing and certain prescriptions and he's done a really good job uh, legislatively with the legislature doing some great things. Um, but, you know, if you go in for, you know, kidney stones or what have you, I mean, if you ask, if I ask my doctor tomorrow, you know, I want a prescription of oxycodone or oxycontin because I have, my, I have a bad pain in my back, they're going to give it to me. Do I really need, do I need 30 prescriptions for, for kidney stones? I mean, the pain lasts for 12 hours. And so I think that we have to think differently about how we do things in this country. Mayor Craig, I mean, you just took office, but is, it, or the, is the lawsuit something that you had considered or thought about? Uh, actually, uh, the city signed on prior to me taking office, so we are participating. Mm -hmm. um, and Mayor Ross, I'm talking about the engagement center as well, um, which, is, which, has been, which has been set up in the South End. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it offers? Yeah, our engagement center. So, so when we had to close Long Island Bridge, we had to move our homeless facility off of Long Island. Uh, it made us really think about homelessness in Boston. Um, a little differently, uh, and we, we created, we, we literally had a building that was a transportation shop, sign shop. We moved out the sign folks out of there from transportation. We renovated the building, and we built a, a state, not a state-of-the-art, but a, a brand-new homeless shelter in the city of Boston. Um, not every homeless person goes into shelter at night. A lot of people will want to stay on the street. They just won't come in. They won't engage. So we created, we decided around Melania Cass Boulevard and Mass Ave, we had a lot of people homeless. Not all homeless, every, everyone down there is, I think everyone describes them as homeless, but they're not all homeless. Some, some have just come down for the day and hang out, cause a lot of havoc and go, go back to wherever they come from. But, but what we decided to do was, was create a drop-in place for homeless folks that, that want to hang out for the day and be safe. Not hang in the street, not sleep under a bridge, not hang under a tree, but come to a place that will provide them with a, with a cup of coffee, some breakfast in the morning, some lunch, something at night, and then kind of get off the street and kind of let them do what they want to do while they're there, but get them off the street. So we opened this engagement center. Um, it was temporary at first. Um, it's still temporary for now, and we're going to think about doing long term. And I think we've had over, I think in six months, about 27,000 visits in, in the engagement center. That means repeat people coming in. And what we're finding is, I think we've got about, 30, Brendan, you know, like 60 people into recovery. So we we have like 60, 70 people in recovery that were homeless that we came into the engagement center, and indirectly we're working with them to counsel them, to give them some ideas about maybe if you want to go for help, you can go for help. So it, what it is, it's a drop in center of homeless people, and, and so people aren't seeing the homeless folks in the street. 
but we're also not hiding the homeless people by, 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 by we're trying to engage them with, with opportunities for recovery. And I think that it's worked to a degree. Uh, and in Boston, in the last four years, in the last three years, actually three and a half years, we've housed over 1,300 chronically homeless people that were on the streets of Boston that are now in a home in in, in around the Boston area. So we're trying to be creative on homelessness. And, and I just want to be clear, homelessness and addiction are two different things. Sometimes they're the same, and sometimes they're different. So when people, when I was in recovery, when I went to detox, they asked me, they asked us to describe a homeless person. And what we said was a person drinking a bottle out of a brown paper bag. And I think it's important for us as a society to realize that not all homeless people are addicts and not all addicts are homeless people. And when, when you closed Long Island and it was, it took a while to get people into recovery, did that really show you the difficulties of placing, you know, just the lack of beds, the lack of treatment, the well, fact that it took so long? One, one thing we had, we, we had a, we had a First of all, the programs were surprised because they they like they're running, and the next day they're all, they're all nonprofits. Most of them are nonprofits. They no place to go, so we're trying to find places to site. And citing uh, citing a pro program is very difficult, uh, and it's unfortunate because we, one a couple of programs we tried to site in different areas, and people didn't want them in the neighborhood. And I said to myself, you know, them are those neighbors. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, it's really discouraging when, when, we, when you want to put programs in, a good strong program I'm talking about, in a neighborhood that don't, doesn't want it, especially after you explain it. I mean, we had a difficult time placing one of the detoxes that was actually pretty much a lockdown detox, meaning that there's no drug activity going on around the detox. You go there, you, you go in for treatment, they shut the door, they lock the door, they don't let anyone in. You, you get a visit certain times of the, of the week, you can't have visits all day. So it is difficult. And, and I think that citing these programs is, is complicated and difficult. And, and I think some neighbors, some neighborhoods open their arms, but, but it's hard. And I think that people need to realize that, again, as we cite these programs, I mean, some of you might say to me, well, you, you wouldn't want on your street. Well, I, you know, I lived in Savin Hill, and, and, and there was a house down the street called, uh, that, that was for chronic, chronically homeless people, uh, and I brought Pine Street in there, um, and, and they run a great program. It's a, it's a, it's a single-room occupancy home with common living space that there's no problems on. So, I mean, people need, need, need dignity, and I think if we show people respect and dignity, and if a neighbor can do that, it'll be helpful. Mayor Craig, have you run into some of those issues in Manchester as well? You know, the, the need for facilities and just the, the lack of desire for them in certain neighborhoods? We absolutely have, and right now we're dealing with the safe and sober homes and finding places to do that. There are, really are no rules or regulations about it, and, you know, things are popping up throughout the city not necessarily safe for all people. So we're trying to, you know, our firefighters, our police officers are doing amazing work on the streets right now, battling this um, crisis, but also trying to make sure that people are safe and where they need to be so that they can get the help that they, they so desperately need. And in my opinion, there's a big difference between, between a, a licensed recovery home by the state in a sober home that's opened by somebody who is in recovery that's renting it out for, in, in some cases, top dollar right. and not having proper programming because they can't regulate the, the clients that are in there. But a, a, a halfway house in Massachusetts, by definition, they can be drug tested and if they, if they fail, they can be asked to leave. And how do you root those out, you know, if they're just popping up? It's hard. I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with the state uh, before I was in this role. As, as, as a rep trying to figure it out and a lot of it is regulation and trying to come up with zoning regulation in mm -hmm. a community and uh, it's difficult and, and I think that a lot of the, the, the bad players in that industry at least in Boston are starting to I think they're, they're, they're deciding this is too much for us mm -hmm. because it, 
Boston's a small town, and it's not that complicated to find out who these people are right. and, and kind of go right to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. get, get right in there. We only have about three minutes left, but um, I know Mayor Walsh, you went down to Miami to the mayor's conference and were showing people how to use Narcan. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that and what both of your plans are for, for Narcan and what it's doing? You know, in the Narcan's an, an incredible um, creation, I guess, invention, uh, but it's, it's temporary and it's short. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, brought, we did a demonstration for the mayor's uh, around the country showing what Narcan is, because a lot of people are afraid of Narcan as well. And when I became the mayor, I asked my police and fire to all carry Narcan. Now everyone has it. It's important what Narcan does. It, 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 prevent, it helps potentially prevent an overdose death. Uh, it's short term. Uh, it's, it's saved people's lives. But unless we have the next step after the Narcan, uh, we're back in the same situation again, meaning that when you hit somebody with Narcan and, and they come back, more often than not, they, they're not willing to like go into treatment that minute. They're, they don't realize they had an overdose. They, 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 they literally died. Uh, but I, I, Narcan, Narcan allows parents to have a second shot at their kids. Uh, Narcan allows people that are in the grips of addiction to have a second shot at life. And I think that it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, I, you know, I promote it and I try and get, get it, try to tell people as best you can get trained in it because it, it, you never know. You, you never know the person that you give the knock, administer the Narcan to, that person might go into treatment the next week and, 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 and get sober and, and have an incredible life. Um, so that, that's the beauty of Narcan or any, any type of block. But I do think that we have to, uh, one thing I'm concerned about is, is, is on, on treatment side is going too much, we're going way too far into medically treated addiction. Awesome. We, we, there's, just, there's, just, there's just too much. I mean, I mean, we're talking about it in the country. We're talking about it in the cities and towns and the states. It's just way too much. You, you know, it, it, I agree with using methadone and other things to help you weed off, come off the off the drugs, but but not long term. We're we're, make, we're going to make pharmaceutical companies rich by allowing them to create drugs to treat the people that they created drugs that got them addicted. What are your thoughts on medic medicated treatment? <laughs> you know, I agree. We have a methadone clinic right next to City Hall. Mm -hmm. And when I go to work every day, I see, you know, on Mondays, the same people going in and coming out and going in and coming out. And, you know, we really, in New Hampshire, we need some regulation. We don't have it. And we need to see what they're doing and make sure this is supposed to help them and we're supposed to be weaning them off. But they're becoming addicted to these these drugs and and it's it's a problem and, and there are also people going in there that you don't see that, right. that you know that, that are getting treated but I just get worried that every time we think that we're going to fix the issues by, by, by putting more medicine I mean in Massachusetts this happened but when I was a rep we started forcing halfway houses to take people on medic, medical they had if they were on suboxone or other drugs they forced them to take it that's wrong mm -hmm. I mean I mean you have bureaucrats making decisions that that don't understand the addiction and you're telling people how to change a system and, and I have a real problem with that so I feel like we could talk about this for another half an hour, but unfortunately, we have this is all the time we have for this one. But um, thank you so much for joining us, and we will move on to the next part of our program now. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.